0: CHAPTER Thirteen, YOUNG FOLKS' HISTORY OF THE AMERICAN REVOLUTION. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colonel Gary Bohannon. GaryBohannon.com. YOUNG FOLKS' HISTORY OF THE AMERICAN REVOLUTION by Everett Tomlinson. EVENTS IN AND NEAR NEW YORK. WASHINGTON although he had scarcely known a moment's rest for the previous two nights had crossed to the aid of his men who were shut in behind the works which they had previously erected on brooklyn heights he withal was uncertain as to what the next move of the victorious british would be and neither he nor his followers were to be free from anxiety for many hours to come it has been claimed by some that washington was eager for the redcoats to attempt to storm the heights in which event he hoped that the lesson of Bunker Hill would be reviewed and repeated. Others believed that the American leader was aware that his men were too nearly exhausted and disheartened to make a stand against the enemy. But whatever may have been his own feelings or fear, all that Howe did was to arrange his troops in the form of a semicircle in front of Brooklyn Heights, and wait, although there were frequent skirmishes during the night and the day that followed. Just why the British general did not act promptly is not known today. Some of his friends in England, who, since they were thousands of miles away from the scene of the battle, naturally thought they knew all that should be done, criticized him very severely for his inactivity, and declared it was due to the fact that he had eaten too much, as he frequently did, and consequently was too sleepy to keep an eye on his wily foe. Others have claimed that the failure to act was due to Howe's clemency, believing, as he did, that by his victory he had crushed the rebellion, and being averse to shedding any more blood than was absolutely necessary at all events he did fail to act and this gave the weary washington the opportunity for which he was watching a period of foggy and rainy weather set in but his watchful scouts brought him word that there were some strange movements going on in admiral howe's fleet which lay out near the narrows and almost completed the circle around washington and his men some believed that these movements among the vessels implied that the british were attempting to complete the circle and starve out the yankee soldiers by a siege others claimed that the redcoats were getting ready to fall upon new york city itself which protected only by half the little american army would fall as easily as the men of sterling and sullivan had been driven by the oncoming hessians and british either horn of this dilemma was apparently as bad as the other and so calling a council of his officers washington decided that the best thing to do was to evacuate brooklyn heights and attempt to cross to new york where at least all his men would be together accordingly That very night, August twenty-ninth, seventeen 1776, the crossing was made. Colonel Glover, with his hardy fishermen from Marblehead and Gloucester, who were a few weeks afterward to play such a conspicuous and daring part in the Battle of Trenton, collected all the boats of every kind and description that could be found, and ferried the army across to the New York shore. The fog favored them, but why they were not discovered is one of the mysteries of history. At last, before the dawn of the day, all the men, horses guns ammunition and supplies had been safely transported and when the british finally were awake to what was going on it was only to behold the last row of skiffs safe beyond the range of their pistols or guns it was a marvellous feat and all the more to be wondered at because washington and his followers were almost exhausted but it was his opportunity and when it came the great american seized it and thereby disclosed the true secret of his greatness for the difference between men is not the lack of opportunities but in the failure to recognize them it is said that a mrs rapelya an ardent tory woman dwelling near the foot of fulton street from which the crossing was made discovering what the americans were doing sent one of her negroes with information for the british leader but the black man met a hessian officer who could not understand a word that was said and so the slumbers of howe were not broken before the morning dawned the americans were in new york though they could hardly be called safe and the british held the empty earthworks on brooklyn heights whatever chagrin howe might have felt he was justly elated over the success of the recent battle for which a few weeks afterward he was knighted but he still had a very sincere desire for peace and not dreaming that after such a loss as the americans had sustained they would seriously think of continuing the war or the rebellion as he called it he sent sullivan who was now his prisoner to congress with the implied promise that he howe would probably be able to influence parliament to grant the requests of the colonies for the repeal of the laws against which they had rebelled but he wanted first that a committee of three should be appointed to confer with him the proposal aroused very strong feelings among the members of congress some denouncing both howe who had made the proposition and sullivan who had brought it as if sullivan could have done otherwise Others were far more suspicious than were the Trojans of the horse the Greeks had left for them, and still others thought no harm could come from a conference with the British general. Against the better judgment of some of the leaders, John Adams, Franklin, and Rutledge were appointed as such a committee, and a conference with Howe was held. The result of it, however, was only to show Lord Howe how determined the Americans had become, not only to have just laws, but also a country of their own, and that he could not hope to win them back to King George without a desperate struggle. The olive branch he had brought across the sea had failed to accomplish the result he had sincerely hoped to gain. Washington and his little army were safe now in New York, it is true, but how long they would remain so was a question. Howe had issued a proclamation in which he not only called upon all loyal subjects of King George now to show their loyalty, but also promised forgiveness for all others who would return. Perhaps it is not surprising that many availed themselves of this offer, but Congress, on the other hand, also provided an oath of allegiance to which the stronger whigs readily subscribed though as many of them took their families and followed the patriot army the patriotism in many ways only served to increase the problems of the great leaders the city being on an island presented the very best of opportunities for the british having as they did both a fleet and an army to fall upon it the americans had erected a number of defences along the shore but these were not of a kind to afford much help in case of an attack And when Washington called a council of his officers, a majority of them agreed with him that the only safe course to follow was to evacuate the city. The stores and the sick and wounded soldiers were sent into New Jersey. General Putnam was left in the city with four thousand men as a rear guard, and then Washington with the main body withdrew to the banks of the Harlem River. It was during this time that two events occurred that have been almost ignored in our records of the struggle. One was the attempt of Ezra Lee to blow up the Eagle admiral howe's flagship which was anchored off the shore of governor's island a young mechanic named bushnell of connecticut had invented what he called a marine turtle by which he was confident that a daring man could move under the water approach the hull of a ship and by fastening his contrivance to the bottom and arranging the clockwork of the turtle have ample time to escape himself before the explosion followed which it was confidently believed would blow the largest man of war to splinters the plan was approved And daring Ezra Lee was selected to make the attempt. At midnight on the sixth of September, he entered the machine, left the dock at the foot of Whitehall, and started on his perilous venture. Washington and several of his officers who were in the secret waited all night long on the dock for the outcome of the attempt, no one of them hopeful of success, and as the gray of the dawn appeared, not even daring to believe that young Ezra would ever be seen again. Just at that time, however, Suddenly a column of water was thrown into the air near the dim outline of the eagle, and it was apparent that there was a great commotion both on board the flagship and on the nearby shore. No great damage had been done, that was evident. But what had become of Ezra Lee? For a long time the American officers waited, and just as they were about to go back to their men, satisfied that the attempt had failed and that the young man was drowned, he was discovered in the water near the dock. Friendly hands speedily drew him forth. And warm were the words of praise bestowed upon him by all the attempt had indeed failed for the bottom of the flagship had been covered with copper. it had been impossible to find a place which the turtle could be fastened. Ezra Lee's spirit and daring had appealed to Washington so strongly, however, that he was chosen by the commander as one of his most trusty scouts and had an active part afterward in the battles of Trenton, Brandywine, and Monmouth. The other event was the hanging of Nathan Hale washington as we know at this time had been in great perplexity as to what the next movements of the british would be and after consulting with his officers it was decided that some trusty man must be sent as a spy to long island to learn of the movements and plans of the british army colonel Knowlton, whose regiment was known as congress's own and was composed of very sterling men was directed to select some suitable man for the task and his choice fell upon young captain nathan hale of connecticut who provided with passes and letters by washington that would be helpful among all the armed vessels of the americans soon afterward crossed to long island where he made many notes and sketches and then prepared to recross the sound to his friends but as the old story runs he was recognized by a relative who was a very bitter tory and at once was turned over to general howe without even the form of a trial he was sent to cunningham the provost marshal a man whose deeds within the next few years were to make him one of the most justly detested men in our history with orders for his execution even at this time cunningham showed his true nature for he even refused young hale permission to read his bible or to have a word with a clergyman before his death even the tendered letters he had by permission of howe written to his mother were destroyed and nathan hale was speedily hanged from an apple tree in an orchard that grew near to the present east broadway the last words of the brave young martyr were, quote, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Unquote. The tragic death of Nathan Hale created a feeling of intense anger among the Continentals. The brutality and cold-blooded cruelty that attended it increased the fear of the wavering and strengthened the determination of those who already were committed to the cause of the new nation. Our forefathers were very fond of songs. And frequently went into battle with a song on their lips, and many a campfire was enlivened with the rude, stirring words of a poet-soldier. Nathan Hale's death naturally provided a theme of interest, and it may serve to show both the feelings of the time and the rude attempt of the poets to express the sentiments of their fellows if we quote the following war-song, written in 1776, by some writer whose name is unknown. Nathan Hale, A Ballad the breezes went steadily through the tall pines, a saying o oh, hush, a saying, o oh, hush, as still he stole by a bold legion of horse for hail in the bush, for hail in the bush. Keep still, said the thrush, as she nestled her young in a nest by the road, in a nest by the road, for the tyrants are near, and with them appear what bodes us no good, what bodes us no good. The brave captain heard it, and thought of his home in a cot by the brook in a cot by the brook. With his mother and sisters and memories dear, he so gaily forsook, he so gaily forsook. Cooling shades of the night were coming apace. The tattoo had beat, the tattoo had beat, the noble one sprang from his dark lurking place, to make his retreat, to make his retreat. He warily trod on the dry rustling leaves, as he passed through the woods, as he passed through the woods, and silently gained his rude launch on the shore, as she played with the flood, As she played with the flood. The guards of the camp on that dark, dreary night had a murderous will, had a murderous will. They took him and bore him afar from the shore to a hut on the hill, to a hut on the hill. No mother was there, not a friend who could cheer in that little stone cell, in that little stone cell. But he trusted in love from his father above. In his heart all was well, in his heart all was well. An ominous owl with his solemn, bass voice sat moaning hard by. Sat moaning hard by. The tyrant's proud minions most gladly rejoice, For soon he must die, for soon he must die. The brave fellow told them, No thing he restrained, The cruel general, the cruel general, His errand from camp, Of the end to be gained, And said that was all, and said that was all. They took him and bound him and bore him away, Down the hill's grassy side, Down the hill's grassy side. Twas there the base hirelings in royal array, his cause did deride his cause did deride five minutes were given short moments no more for him to repent for him to repent he prayed for his mother he asked not another to heaven he went to heaven he went the faith of a martyr the tragedy showed as he trod the last stage as he trod the last stage and britons will shudder at gallant hale's blood as his words do presage as his words do presage thou pale king of terrors thou life's gloomy foe go frighten the slave go frighten the slave tell tyrants to you their allegiance they owe no fears for the brave no fears for the brave the americans had meanwhile been working with desperate zeal to strengthen their fortifications in and about the city of new york new entrenchments were dug hulks of old and useless vessels were sunken in the hudson but all their efforts could avail but little against the fearful odds with which they were contending many of the men were still in secret terror of the scarlet-clad british soldiers whom they had been taught from their earliest boyhood to look upon as the greatest fighters in all the world their own equipment was sadly incomplete the time for which many had enlisted had very nearly expired and altogether it is not strange that the feeling of gloom and depression almost deprived washington of any such thing as a trusty or reliable force Howe first sent ten of his battleships up the hudson to a point where their fire could rake the city among these ships was the asia carrying 64 guns and hated by the americans for the actions of its officers and crew as was almost no other british vessel the yankee captain talbot inspired with the desire to damage not only the enemy but this particular ship set forth in a fireship from fort washington and succeeded in making his way to the side of the asia with his own boat in flames but though he greatly frightened the men on the ship they managed to escape from their peril and captain talbot himself badly burned was glad to escape to the jersey shore with his life while the ten ships were pouring their fire into the city sir henry clinton landed about four thousand men at the foot of what is now east thirty-fourth street while another division chiefly hessians landed a little way above the same place the brigades of parsons and fellows consisting mostly of new england men were sent to dispute the landing of the enemy but to the consternation of their officers the men became terrified and fled without even attempting to make a stand when the first fifty of the redcoats reached the shore bunker hill and lexington were forgotten and only long island remembered when the sight of the brilliant uniforms increased the alarm which the fire of the great guns of the fleet in the hudson had already aroused the officers begged and threatened but the frightened men would not listen and not even when washington himself who had heard at harlem the sound of the cannon and had ridden swiftly to the landing-place added his words in presence would they stop in their flight it is said in his despair at their cowardice that the great leader grasped his sword drove his spurs into the flanks of the horse he was riding and started swiftly towards the enemy hoping to meet death and find release from the hopelessness which had apparently seized him one of his aides however grasped the bridle and checked the horse and in a moment Washington was himself again. With the landing of these forces, Howe might easily have cut off the retreat of General Putnam, who was doing his utmost to withdraw and join his comrades on the banks of the Harlem. And the reason he did not succeed was due in part to what Howe's own countrymen declared to be his weakness, his overeating, as they termed it, and also to the quick wit of a woman, Mistress Murray. She, well aware of Putnam's predicament, prepared a tempting luncheon, and upon her urgent invitation, General Howe together with sir henry clinton and a few others stopped at her home to partake of it but when they arose from the table the american general and his men were safe having joined their companions and lost but a few men in the flight with the withdrawal from the americans from new york in september seventeen seventy six they were not again to hold that city until the long war was ended more than seven years after this time on the following day september sixteenth seventeen seventy six there was a sharp skirmish between parts of the forces which has since been known as the battle of harlem in which the americans lost about sixty while their enemies suffered much more severely it was in this engagement that colonel knowlton of the connecticut rangers to which nathan hale belonged fell and so did major leach of virginia had these men lived it is more likely that their names would have been as famous as those of many of the leaders for they were brave men and true but their death ended their labors though it should not prevent us from still honoring their memory the British now had their ships of war in both rivers, the Hudson and the Harlem. They held the city, and many began to think that now they would go into winter quarters in the best town in the New World. The Americans were on Harlem Heights, and there was no fear of their attacking, and the place they held, in the memory of Bunker Hill, was almost too strong to be attacked. But just at this time, there was a terrible fire in New York. Before dawn, in the morning of September twenty first, with a strong wind blowing from the southwest, it broke out in a low groggery near the foot of the town and before it was stopped four hundred ninety-three buildings had been destroyed churches houses places of business had disappeared and the victorious british declared that the americans had set fire to the town rather than have it fall into the hands of their conquerors this report was untrue but perhaps that together with several other reasons after four weeks had passed led howe to decide to attempt to gain the rear of washington's little army and so cut them off from all hope of a retreat and compel an immediate surrender and bring the war to a speedy end boats as has been said were in each of the two rivers a large force of hessians and british was in the city under the command of lord percy so howe with the rest of his army on ninety great flatboats passed down through the frightful waters of hell gate and landed at throg's neck eighteen miles from the city from which place he hoped to march rapidly across the intervening country and gain the rear of washington's army before the rebel leader could learn of his design but the american commander was well aware of the movement and at once sent men to oppose if they could not prevent howe's landing other troops had now joined howe and though there was constant skirmishing between the contending forces the americans were not able to drive the redcoats back to prevent howe from gaining his rear washington soon decided to move his army still farther from the city and after leaving what was thought to be a force strong enough to hold fort washington at least for the present in four divisions led respectively by lee heath sullivan and lincoln the little american army moved slowly and at last behind rudely constructed entrenchments that extended for thirteen miles from fordham to white plains it stretched out in front of the british army general greene with his men was now at fort lee in new jersey almost opposite Fort Washington, and therefore with the forts on each side of the river held by his own men, and confident that Howe could not cut off the troops that were with him, perhaps Washington believed that the end had proved not to be so very bad after all. For a time nothing but skirmishes occurred. The Americans were satisfied to hold their earthworks, and many of the Hessian and British soldiers were apparently well content to frighten the people of the region, and spend much of their time in plundering few parts of the country suffered during the revolution as did the region in which were the two armies at this time and many are the stories related to the brutality of the soldiers the bravery of the women and boys left at home and the personal adventures of whigs and tories one story may illustrate the character of the life in the region at this time a widow living with her only boy a lad of twelve years found that the vegetables in her garden were being taken the lad resolved to watch one night and so took his place in a dark spot near the garden. His loaded gun was in his hands, and for a while he had no difficulty in remaining awake. After a time, when the novelty of his duty was gone, and he was beginning to feel sleepy, he suddenly discovered some man filling a huge bag with the fruits of the garden. Stepping softly, the boy approached, and presenting his loaded gun at the soldier's rear, ordered him to keep the heavy bag and march before him. Death would be the consequence of any attempt to turn aside or drop the bag. There was nothing to be done but obey so the huge highlander for such the soldier proved to be was marched to the american camp and given over by the proud young captor as a prisoner of war slight cause for wonder is it that the captive grenadier when at last he ventured to turn his head and perceived who his captor was should have exclaimed in disgust a british grenadier made prisoner by a brat such a brat men who attempted to visit their homes or families in this region were watched and in numberless cases hanged or shot before the very eyes of their children one man who had ventured to return to his home was traced and just as the tories who were even more bitter than the regulars were about to break into the house after the demand for his surrender had been refused was concealed by his frantic wife in a heap of ashes and breathing through a long goose-quill even his face being covered in this manner escaped from his pursuers not all of the murdering and plundering was done by the men of one side but the terror that possessed the region at the time is one of the best commentaries on the horrors of war in any place or period. End of chapter thirteen.